the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. George Brockler back with you here. It's hour two of four, seven ten KNUS. Lots going on. Uh, we always love to have in studio the chief of police for Colorado's second largest and perhaps the most important of all the police departments. That's the Aurora Police Department. But he's not in here today. Instead, we're fortunate to have him on the line with us right now. It's Chief Art Acevedo. Sir, thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Happy New Year. How are you, George? Uh, living the dream, man. I heard from uh, your PIO person that this was some sort of a calendaring thing in terms of uh, getting you in studio. I, I And I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but let them go. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. It, it, it happens. Uh, anything big, by the way, for you on New Year's? Any New Year's resolutions as chief? Do you guys do that as a department? Like our New Year's resolution is zero murders, or what, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, our New Year's resolution is to... Um criminalize everything that would hurt people and have, have nothing happen this year. But actually my year's resolution is just to keep working on uh, keeping our, our crime trending in the right direction, which, you know, last year um, we'll get the numbers uh, later this week. But um, it, I think it's about everything went down, uh, which is a good thing. Want to keep it Man, that I, way. I hope you're willing to shoot those numbers or a link to, to them over to us. I'd love to be able to have that conversation on the radio too. Um, have, oh, yeah, absolutely. have we had any murders yet in 2024? And I knock on wood. I don't, I don't know if it's a joke. Oh, thing. gosh. You know, are you going to use the, the Q word too, George? Come on. I <laughs> well, I don't know how else to ask the question. No. I mean, I'm just, well, that's great. No, that's great. I, I, Denver I can't say that. <laughs> Denver well, can't yeah, say I that. I mean, I don't look, it's just, it, it's, it's just a world we live in, man. People just, uh, especially youth, we keep talking about youth violence. Uh, they're just, um, they're out of control, not just in, the Denver metro area, but in a lot of places around the country. And and the sad thing is that uh, some people in uh, elected officials are like uh, at state and uh, federal level or are in denial. They don't think there's a youth violence problem and when there actually is. Um, you were, maybe still are, the interim chief. Any word on whether 2024 is the year they make you a real boy? Yeah, I think the interim title is pretty much gone. Boom. Uh, Have they done the vote? Is there some sort of a special no, dance, we, some smoke? Yeah. <laughs> we got to finish uh, the negotiate. We got to negotiate here uh, or sometime this uh, this this uh, early here in the year, hopefully this month. And then uh, the council has to uh, confirm uh, confirm the uh, appointment. So I presume that's going to uh, happen. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, you know, whatever. I'm, I mean, I'm willing to serve and. At the end of the day, again, it's all about titles. We're all interims anyway, so it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other whether it's interim or not. I actually brought a bunch of photos and and, and uh, putting up in the office. Oh, some of my stuff. Just that to, feels a little more <laughs> permanent then. There, there's the yeah, difference between yeah, yeah. interim and just the chief. As you actually put, start putting yeah. things up, people walk by your office and think, "Oh, he's going to stay." <laughs> oh, great! No, he's he's getting comfortable. He's staying around. He's sticking around. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, as as. DA, I was always skeptical of the young DA's offices who never had anything on their walls. I was like, what's going on? I mean, are you looking to leave here? Like, why don't you put down some roots like uh, anything, like a diploma? 
a license to practice <laughs> yeah. law, that you are probably now going to reassure so many people, both good and bad, that they're like, oh, damn yeah. it, he is sticking around. This is actually going to stick. Yeah, you know what? I think things that we're, I'm, I'm happy with uh, the progress we're making with the, you know, um, with the work. And quite honestly, there's so many good officers in, in Aurora, just some really good people, so much good work's going on. And uh, I just think they need some uh, some advocacy and to advocate for them. And, you know, we've got the legislature starting here pretty soon, and we've got to save them from themselves. I'm sure they're going to try to decriminalize you know, just about everything under the sun for uh, and try to raise the 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 uh, age at which people uh, have to be before you can charge them with the crime. Uh, like last session, where they wanted to say no one under 13 could be charged with anything other than murder. And, uh, and at the end of the day, what they're doing is making these kids targets targets of uh, you know older usefulness for right. manipulation and, and of adults. And uh, so you know we're going to save them from themselves and keep fighting the good fight. And, I'm sure we're going to have other things we're going to want to uh, get done, uh, including the fact that I don't know if people, you realize this, but one of the biggest complaints that we get is not about violent crime. It's about uh, folks uh, that don't pay their registration on their vehicles. And it huh. really irritates the bejesus out of, out of um, you know, uh, Coloradans. I, we get more calls and messages from folks about that than a lot of other things. And so... We need to find some other tools, maybe some uh, uh, the ability when we find those cars parked on the street after six months without paying registration, it gets impounded, right? Yeah. Uh, some new authorities, cause, because a lot of these guys will just run from you, and most departments aren't going to chase you. So, well, you got to park at some, you got to park it somewhere sometime out in the street, and uh, that's one of the things I want to work on. This Is year. that something you, you would? Would you about. need a change in the law or city ordinance to do that, or could you do that right now? Uh, my understanding from city legal is we're going to have to ask some legislative support on uh, changing some things, um, but we'll see. Have you, you know, heard I, from CACP is the uh, the chief's association there for, for, for Colorado. Have you heard from them what legislation may be dropped? Uh, you know, this is the week. I think we kick off the legislative session. Is it tomorrow or next week or something like that? I think it's I think it's either this later on this week or, or next week. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure, but uh, I am part of uh, that organization. They do some great work, and um, I, I I'd have to look to see when our next uh, legislative meeting is. But you know, it's every year. I don't know how much we're going to play defense this year, or maybe going off and trying to get some things done. No, it'll it'll be all defense, and it has it's not a reflection at all in you or law enforcement. It is purely a reflection yeah. in the breakdown of the elected representatives under the Gold Dome. A couple things you brought up, and I had forgotten all about this, Chief. But you brought up that dreadful bill that will probably come back again this year in some form. Where you're right, they tried to make it. So that if you were um, a certain level of teenager, that short of murder, your right. punishment for, like, say, you, you, let's say you you catch career burglars, and by career I mean just repeatedly habitual burglars at the yeah. age of thirteen, you could not take them into custody, not even for a millisecond, unless they posed an immediate risk to your health or to their own. You couldn't take them into custody. Instead your officers would scratch out a little note to the parents that say you're required not to come to court ever, never. You're required to come to a meeting, a collaborative meeting with a bunch of other do-gooders that are going to sit around the table and try to talk about why Timmy keeps burglarizing homes. The penalty for not coming to that meeting was 
stern words, and an invitation to yet another meeting. If you blew off three meetings in a row over a period of time that's undescribed, undefined, then, then the system might request DHS to initiate a dependency and neglect action. I mean, this is the kind of thing that turns Aurora and the surrounding metro area into Lord of the Flies. Do you know what I mean? Where kids can just run amok. Sexual assault, have at it. Burglary, go ahead. Steal cars. And you're right, Chief. What that does is it creates tools for the adult 'er ne'er-do-wells. They find these teenage kids and say, you can do this and it will never cost you anything. Yep. And the sad truth is that um, people just don't don't care. I mean, you know, I mean, we'll just, you know, we don't want to uh, we don't want to get kids and warehouse them, but we do need to get kids out. We need to get kids out of the atmosphere, the environment, the circumstances uh, they're in sometimes, and get them the right program in terms of uh, treatment and medic and even medication. Sometimes you know, medical. We talk about mental illness. Well, you know. There's so many things that have to be done to get these kids on the right track. And uh, I'm going to tell you uh, real quick, your listeners, a story of a kid that uh, was uh, shot, right? Um, This was about a week or 10 days ago. Uh, Unfortunately, he's going to live. This kid's a documented um, member of a gang. He's uh, been involved in a lot of uh, felonious activities, uh, convicted. And, of course, there are zero consequences. His uh, his, – uh, sentences back to the streets and I've said it before and I'll say it again when we have that kind of mentality and that kind of zero uh, corrective action um, you, you, you're in essence sentencing kids to death and sure enough uh, this kid uh, got shot a kid that maybe had they intervened and uh, put him in a program or maybe even put him in a in a home somewhere or, or in a justice facility uh, he would not have been shot, but you know this time he lived. But I have a feeling that uh, you know at the path he's going on, he he won't have a long life because we're failing him as a society. We are um, something else that they proposed to do last year, which I think will come back. Is there used to be three different kinds of first degree murder, a conviction for which would result in a mandatory life without parole sentence, and as we know from Governor Polis's recent commutations, including pardons of 28 people last week or right before Christmas, um, any sentence short of life without parole is at risk of being reduced, cut short by parole or a weak in the knees governor or something like that. So one of the things they did, Chief, before you got here, I think it was before you got here, is they took felony murder, which for folks that don't know, felony murder is when you engage in a high risk to someone's life kind of crime like armed robbery, like home invasion burglary, Mm -hmm. and a death of a non-participant results, that's treated like first-degree murder. They reduce that down to a second-degree felony instead of a a second-class felony. They want to do that now with extreme indifference murder, which is the kind of murder that the Aurora Theater massacre shooter was convicted of. They want to reduce that to a second-class felony as well. The end goal of these folks in charge under the Gold Dome is to continue to make it harder for cops to do their jobs and to also forgive as quickly as possible those who engage in criminal conduct in our system. It's craziness. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I just I just don't get why you'd want to do that. At the end of the day, the reason we formed government, I, I think, as humans in society is for the safety of, you know, of the people living in a community. And so... 
um, it, you know, everything starts with public safety. What I don't think folks understand is that the, the people, the voters, sooner or later, they get fed up and um, there's going to be a backlash. And so uh, common sense goes a long way in life. I think it goes a long way in legislation. And, um, uh, and common sense always, has always told me that if you hurt people, there should be a consequence. The consequence, there should be justice. And justice should be, you know, it should be certain. It should be fair. It should be timely. And right now, it seems like we're working to go in the opposite direction. We're talking with Art Acevedo, chief of the Aurora Police Department. couple questions about some things that have come up in, in current events. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you about this, but one is uh, yeah. go- ghost guns. You know, the legislature last year uh, passed, a, or maybe it was two years ago now, passed a law outlawing these ghost guns, these unserialized, you can make them 3D printed guns. In your law enforcement experience, and by the way, there's a there's a group out there, this extremist gun group, that has filed a lawsuit in federal court to declare that unconstitutional, saying that you have a Second Amendment right to these ghost guns. In your experience in law enforcement, are, are ghost guns some kind of a risk, a danger, or is it all blown up? It's not that big a deal. No, ghost guns are uh, an issue um, that on the national level, in some cities, they're really driving a lot of the violent crime being used to uh, hurt folks. You you can't trace them, um, you know, and so it is an issue uh, across the country. And so, again, you know, uh, you know, guns uh, and gun rights are important. I think the Second Amendment is important, but guns belong in the in the hands of the you know law-abiding Americans of sound mind, um, and and not in the hands of uh, young people. Uh, or kids, and when they are used to hurt others in a, feloniously, we should be able to have the ability to actually investigate these things. And you know, in in, in uh, Aurora, we're now uh, putting up our CJIC, which is our uh, Crime Gun Intelligence Center, where we're actually, you know, we can actually connect uh, guns to uh, crimes and and, and and track people and uh, trace uh, the people that, that had them and used them. And so. That is an issue. Um, I wish that you know. I wish that the folks that, that think that it should that is not an issue and that is a right would understand that. You know, we don't want to take guns away from anybody that that's that uh, that's exercising their rights. But at the same token, we don't want to lose tools that uh, that lets us allows us affords us the ability to protect the uh, the American people um, from folks that are out there committing all these crimes. And so, you know, whether it's extreme left or extreme right. When you're extreme and you don't use common sense, at the end of the day, sooner or later, you end up, some of your greatest fears will come true if you're not careful. Uh, the CJIC that you just described, is that NIBIN-based kind of uh, yeah. information? Yep, yep, it sure is. And and uh, and we just uh, signed the MOU with our, our partners at the ATF, who I think are, are you know, one of our best partners in terms of crime fighting at the national level with the, our federal partners. Uh, and so that it's, it's exciting for us. It's going to be, uh, I think it's going to improve our capability uh, in terms of uh, combating violent crime, just like our, our non-fatal sh- uh, shoot team um, that we have that goes out now and investigates non-fatal shootings. Uh, we have a, ha- a handful of detectives that that's what they do, and they, they have upwards of 60 to sometimes 70 percent uh, uh, in terms of solving the cases, which is, you know, that's a huge deal because these are people that just because they don't kill you this time doesn't mean they're going to not be uh, doesn't mean they're going to fail next time. And so, you want to reduce murders by, uh, you know, by by solving those instances where someone shoots somebody uh, illegally, unlawfully, and 
Um, that just because they didn't succeed the first time doesn't mean they won't the next time. That's why that uh, that crew is doing some some really good. I think work. a testament to the quality of uh, Aurora's officers, by the way, is the ATF's PIO is one of your former yeah. police officers uh, that was there for a while. Yeah, which you know what Aurora's got a great reputation in terms of uh, uh, being a great police uh, organization, and you know, like everything else, you, we've had bumps in the roadway, but that's just part of. Uh, you know, what happens when you're dealing with human beings and when you're in a, uh, dealing with a dynamic uh, profession where you know, a lot of things happen uh, quickly in a matter of seconds, milliseconds, and sometimes uh, we're not going to do the right thing or we're going to make a mistake. But at the end of the day, when you look at the body of work of our department over the decades, over the years, um, the, the good completely outweigh uh, the instances where we, where we have not uh, done it the way we should have. We're talking with Ara Acevedo, chief of police for Aurora. Uh, question about a case that just resolved that predates you by a bunch, uh, yeah. and that is the Elijah McLean case. We've now seen the yeah. last of the five prosecutions. The last trial were the two Aurora fire guys, the paramedics, who were found guilty of, I think it was criminally negligent homicide. I'd have to go back and look in, in causing the death. There were three other officers who were prosecuted over two trials. Two of them acquitted outright. I think one of them has re- returned to the to the police force. The other two are gone for other reasons. Um, and, and only one was convicted face and sentencing. Any reaction to, to those cases? How closely did you follow that and what should the public or even your own organization take away from that prosecution? Well, you know, look, I, I think that uh, it, that was a situation that occurred, a tragedy. There's no way uh, around that. You can't you can't uh, can't deny that. It, uh, but at the end of the day, um, whether we agree with the prosecution, whether we agree with the folks that were convicted or those that were acquitted, or not that's this is a system that we you know live and work under and it's the rule of law we've got to you know be supportive of it at the end of the day though i believe that our department uh both of our departments because of the death of elijah mclean have come a long way in terms of the way that we're training and the way that we uh, approach problem solving the way that we approach uh dealing with uh, individuals we encounter on the streets and I believe that uh, out of tragedy, you, part of what we have to do is figure out how we can get some, you know, something good come out, come out of it. And for me, um, the way that we've uh, evolved as an organization in our training our policies and procedures is a win for the officers that we are privileged to lead and the, in the community that we're privileged to serve. And so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, time for us to, you know, flip the page and, move forward and try to move our community relations forward, our policing forward, and, and, uh, make, and make that bond between both stronger. Because when we have increased public trust uh, between law enforcement and the public, uh, I think that is a win for officer safety, that's a win for community safety, and that's a, a win for the quality of life uh, uh, for the folks living in our city, in our communities, and for the officers that serve them. And so um, I'm glad that it's over uh, by and large. Uh, the one officer uh, is not, uh, he's, he's still on personal leave. We're not sure what he's going to do, uh, whether he's going to come back or not. He's still on personal leave. Uh, but our department has uh, moved forward, and I think that collectively you cannot completely heal a community or an organization 
until you get through all these things. And I'm just glad that uh, it's going to be in our rearview mirror and that we can move forward. Is your sense of it that Jason Rodema, who is the only officer that was convicted, albeit of the lesser charges, no mandatory charges, uh, nothing like that. Is it your expectation that he will be... I know you're not the judge, but when you look at this case, yeah. do you think this guy gets incarcerated for the conviction that took place there? It's a non-mandatory F5, one to three year presumptive range probation eligible sentence, and then a misdemeanor. I mean, do you, do you think the judge, the pressure is on the judge to impose some type of incarceration? Or is this something where, look, dude's never going to be a cop again. He'll be a convicted felon for the rest of his life, and uh, there ought to be some kind con- I mean, w- what do you think happens here? Yeah, you know what? I the, the challenge for me is I didn't get to watch. You know, we didn't watch the trial, so we don't know. I don't know how the trial went in terms of uh, the, the uh, former the, the former officer on the stand, and actually they didn't take the stand, so I, I don't know how the trial went. So it's hard to judge, and I don't know the judge. Um, but I know that there's going to be a lot of public pressure uh, uh, from a lot of folks in the public, especially um, the mom of Eliza McClain, that they'd like the officer to get jail time and so i i would i don't know if judges uh what impact it has on this judge or any judge uh but that's it's you know that's that's yet to be determined um uh it could go either way it's a it's just a, you you're a prosecutor probably much more experienced in the, this matter than i would be uh because for us in law enforcement you know we we we, we make the arrest we handle the investigations we present uh our, our reports to to the DA, and, and then we let the system uh, take care of uh, the process. That's the way it's supposed to work. So um, I don't pay that as much attention to that piece of uh, the criminal justice system, but uh, I think it can go either way. Um, final question for you. Hopefully some good news here. We have been talking pretty much regularly about Aurora's efforts to crack down on motor vehicle theft. Colorado remains number one in America for that. Um, and so the Aurora City Council took some pretty strong steps and said, we're no longer going to rely upon the state because the state sucks at this. They keep turning these people back out on the street without consequences. And we see where that's gotten us. Law was changed so that there's mandatory time. And chief, I can never remember if it's 60 days or 90 days for a first conviction on this thing. But um, that's been a little over a year now. I think it's September of 2022 ish that that thing happened. Any results yet? Can you talk about the numbers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you we have a double-digit reduction in uh, auto theft in, in our city, and I think uh, that bodes well for our community. And, uh, and, and you know, people don't they don't believe it, but a lot of times, you know, bad guys, uh, you know, they they weigh risk versus gain. I, I, I can tell you that because I've seen it uh, firsthand uh, in, in, on, uh, when we tried to put dope deals down when I was in – in Austin, Texas, many years ago, they they want to do the deal in 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 Travis County instead of uh, Williamson County because of the consequences for the same actions were much more lenient in uh, Travis County. So I think this bodes well, and I can tell you that we we are going to end up with a double digit uh, reduction in uh, uh, vehicle thefts in the in the city of Aurora. That's, I think that's a big a big part of it. That's impressive. When do we get the legit number? And I want to say, I uh, believe I've heard it's somewhere around 24, 25%. I want it to be that. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a significant reduction. And so, uh, but you know what? It's a one year thing. So it's, uh, the, we, we need to have two or three cons- consecutive years of good results, 
uh, to declare victory so we can see that that uh, consistent pattern. But I, we should have those numbers to you all in, in, the next, in the next couple of weeks. That's fantastic. Finally, I was able to get out to what I previously called Doral, but it's Doral. Yeah, pointed yeah. out to me right outside <laughs> Miami. I got a chance to stay at the Trump International, whatever the resort yeah. was out there. That's a pretty cool place, man. But I got to tell you, talking with the new chief of police out there, uh, Edwin Lopez, good dude. Um, yeah. I got to tell you, man, that the word on the street about what's going on in the Miami PD, yikes, brother. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, these seem like probably good people, but at the upper echelon, some of the stories that people were telling me are crazy. And we don't need to get into that here, but you've got a little bit of a history with some of that stuff going on in the city is bonkers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? They think they're in Cuba still. But uh, you know what? I'm a person of faith. God puts you where he needs you. I got there. I, thought, I think they thought they can co-opt me because I'm a Cuban-born. Uh, but I'm an American by the grace of God when we received our political asylum in 1968. And, and no, I, I came here. My parents brought me here to assimilate and, and, and adopt the best, the best uh, parts of uh, our, our country and traditions of our, of our society here in the United States. And um, that eight-page memo to the FBI may not be the sole reason, but I can tell you that uh, they're starting to go to jail, some of those people. They're being held accountable in civil uh, you know, in civil uh, court trials uh, to the tune of a $63 million judgment against one of the crooked uh, politicians. And the best part is that there are um, a, a, a series of, um, you know, a, a series of um, uh, criminal investigations ongoing as we speak from our federal and state partners. And just la- just yesterday I heard that the city manager is another one, right? Um, his wife owns a, a furniture store. Is part of a furniture company, and I uh, guess who they've bought millions of dollars worth of furniture from with no bid, uh, no bid agreements. Her competitor. Over the years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, her competitors. Her husband is like, uh, you better buy this furniture. You're not coming home. Uh, oh my sweet goodness! It's all coming man. out. It feels like it's the <laughs> it's 50s or out. something out there. Maybe that is cute, but it feels like this is a time in the rearview mirror. Uh, that's craziness. Hey, Chief, yeah, nah. Chief Art Acevedo, thanks as always for being generous with your time. I'm sorry you're no going to have that opening in the PIO uh, department based on the <laughs> failure to calendar. But yeah, but you, either that or it could be the calendar system itself because uh, some other stuff has d- disappeared. It's pretty bizarre. We'll talk with you again in the new year. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you, guys. Have a happy new year to everybody. And please uh, remember when you see one of our officers, uh, please tell them thanks for their service. They, they, they really appreciate it. Amen to that. Hey, that is Chief Art Acevedo from the second largest police department in the state of Colorado, the Aurora PD. Hey, we're kind of cut away for a break. When we come back, I do want to talk to you about some of the stuff I talked about with Chief Acevedo. Specifically, there's this new lawsuit aimed at ghost guns, and then there's another thing that has come up with the same organization. I just want to get your temperature on this. It's George Brockler on The George Show, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710 KNUS. My thanks to Art Acevedo. He's the chief of the Aurora Police Department for making time this morning. And uh, I imagine they'll be posting that opening for the PIO position uh, sometime later today, although I've received text saying there is no opening. We don't know. We don't know what really happened. But uh, nonetheless, great to have him on here. Guy will answer any question. Uh, that's fantastic. When we can get him back in studio, we will. And then he'll answer some of your questions as well. Now, one of the things that has taken place is a whole bunch of laws went into effect. And one of them involved... 
um, a ban on ghost guns. It was a bill that was voted against, I think by, I'm guessing now, but I think it was by every Republican in the state legislature. But this thing ends up uh, passing for and becoming law for reasons you know well. And this is the elections have consequences portion of how we govern ourselves. Um, well, a group out there called uh, Rocky Mountain Guns and stuff and uh, some other group called the, I'm going to get this thing, I'm going to nail this thing, the National so- Association for Gun Rights filed a lawsuit in federal court yesterday challenging that law on constitutional grounds. Now, the reason I asked Chief Acevedo about this was this ghost guns thing. I've often wondered how big of a deal this is in the state of Colorado or elsewhere. Is it like a couple times something like this has happened and now we're we're just super motivated to want to find another way to regulate or limit guns? Because that's what it feels like. Every time something happens anywhere, this lefty legislature finds a way to try to infringe on the Second Amendment. But then the other part of me looks at these ghost guns. These are guns that you can 3D print. They're called unserialized because they have no serial numbers on them, and those serial numbers perform a pretty important function, at least in terms of law enforcement and criminal justice stuff. And the question is, should we be able to make any kinds of guns that we can assemble at home without regulation from the man, without regulation from government? I'm really interested to know because the the law enforcement guy in me is torn on this a lot because one, I, I don't want the government you know, putting restrictions on who can own this, that or the other outside of the typical, you know, the age and the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and, and that other stuff and convicted felons. But I do wonder if this law in its absence, doesn't it work to undermine our other existing laws, which are you can't sell guns or give guns to the underage, the mentally infirm, or convicted felons of a certain kind. Now, you may remember that we talked about this on on the show a bit ago. I wrote a column on it recently as well. And that is that our state legislature, and again, they're not doing this because they're pro-Second Amendment. They're doing this because they're anti-law enforcement and anti-accountability. We used to have a pretty robust law in the books called possession of a weapon by a previous offender or by a prior offender. POWPO, P-O-W-P-O, POWPO. And those POWPO laws sought to prevent convicted felons from possessing firearms. Now, there's a legitimate debate about whether or not such a thing should apply to someone who has served their sentence, who committed a crime completely disconnected from or unrelated to a a firearm or violence for that matter. So, for instance, somebody was guilty of uh, theft from a store and it was theft over a certain dollar amount and it became a felony should that person after they've served their sentence be prohibited from possessing a firearm merely because they engaged in theft i'd be open to that conversation that makes a lot of sense to me to say does that person pose a risk however there are people out there who are convicted and ultimately released from prison in any sort of supervision who have committed crimes like home invasion burglary like armed robbery, like sexual assault at the end of a firearm, felony menacing, even some charges of of attempted murder. I mean, these are legit drug dealers. Do you know what I mean? That um, how about car thieves? Car thieves 
are not stealing cars to find a nice place to do drugs or to be warm. They're stealing cars to go commit other crimes, many of them violent crimes. There are violations of the law where you would say, I don't trust your judgment anymore. And so we have these laws. We, we had these robust laws. And of course, the Dems stepped in and said, no, no, drug dealers and car thieves and a whole host of other people ought to be able to get their guns back. Uh, they ought to be able to have guns under Colorado law once they are out from under supervision. Okay, now, remember, they did this through one bill. That bill also allowed rioters and um, insurrectionists and arsonists and a whole bunch of groups to continue to possess these firearms. Then people freaked out and were like, sweet God, what have you done? They came back to change the law and only took out the rioters, insurrectionists, and, and arsonists, but they did not take away the car thieves and the drug dealers and a whole host of others. This was all supported by not only Governor Polis, who signed them all into law without any objection or comment at all, but also by the attorney general who actually championed those laws and fought against efforts by D.A. John Kellner to get a little sanity in there and say maybe drug dealers and car thieves ought not get their guns back after they've been convicted and sentenced. Well, then the AG and the governor showed up to say, as part of our new budget proposal for the legislative session, we want an extra $500,000 so we can hire with state money, with our taxpayer money, prosecutors that will then go work exclusively with the U.S. Attorney's Office to prosecute their gun laws, which include the exact same damn law we just scuttled. So under federal law, they don't care what you're convicted of. If it's a felony, you don't get to have a gun. So we're now, having scuttled our law, we're now going to spend taxpayer money to hire state prosecutors to go prosecute the same people we exonerated under our current law, which gets me to the ghost guns. The only way we know that convicted felons of a certain type now in Colorado aren't supposed to get guns. The only way we can keep them from getting them is to pass a law that says whether you're a private dealer or you're a, a you know, a, a gun shop or whatever, you have to run a background check so that we know. The ghost gun thing seems to say, screw your background check. I don't have to get a background check. You can't know if I have a gun because of the background check. Now, I'm not looking for a list. There's no chance I'm looking for the government to have a list of everyone that has a gun. But at the point of sale, if you're going to say we're not doing background checks anymore, then why have a law at all? And that's where this group, the Rocky Mountain Guns and Stuff group, and I part ways. They believe, at least the executive director, um, Tyler something or other, believes that um, everyone who's finished serving their sentence, regardless of the crime they committed, hell, they could have committed second-degree murder with a gun. Once their sentence is over, they should be able to get guns again. I disagree. I'm sorry, man, but when you've abused your constitutional rights to the point of costing someone their life or committing a serious or aggravated felony, you're telling me that society doesn't have a role to say, that's it, I'm sorry. You, you don't get to engage in the same kind of freedoms that you do if you hadn't committed that same act? I'm interested in knowing your position on this because there's a lot of gun folks out there who are conflicted on this, like me. I mean, I'm a big Second Amendment guy. I'm a concealed carry holder. I've been through all the firearms training and shooting and familiarization. Hell, I've been an expert marksman with the Army multiple times on the firearms I've been expected to be good at. Um, 
But listen, uh, I am not at all, and, and nobody that I, I know of in constitutional history has suggested that the state doesn't have a role to play in limiting handguns to those who have demonstrated an inability to use them responsibly, albeit non-feloniously. And so here we are. We have this lawsuit filed in federal court challenging on constitutional grounds a law that looks like all Republican legislators, just a cursory review by me, uh, voted against. Is it unconstitutional? Do you want to see folks, any folks, without any regulation at all, be able to make their own firearms in their house? 303-696-1971. I'm interested. I want to know. Is it okay with you if Lottie Dottie, everybody, has the ability to possess a firearm by making one in their home based on these these 3D gun printing things and all that other stuff? Is that okay? Do you believe that's what the Constitution supports? I'd love to have that conversation with you. Let me tell you about a couple superstars out there working magic on behalf of your house. It's Brent and Joyce Tolliver. Brent's the son. Joyce is the mom. They have Roll Em Out Shelves at RollEmOutShelves.com. Roll Em Out Shelves, best in the business for what they do. That's not me saying it. That's the fact that they have all five-star reviews for their performance, and I know why. They came to my house. They drove down all the way from their, their and they do this for everybody, drove down all the way from their place of business up north, and said, hey, we want to come into your house. We want to take a look at your cabinets. Show us what you what you currently have. Here's how we can make things better. They got right to it. Just so nice. It's so pleasant. It didn't feel invasive at all. I talked about the business with them. They said, listen, we don't subcontract this stuff. We have our own full-time employees who do this. That just makes sure that we get to guarantee a certain level of competence and quality. And that's obvious from the reviews as well. Whether it's your kitchen, your bathroom, your laundry room, your, I, th- I guess some people have cabinetry in their um, garages. I don't yet. I'd, I'd love to at some point. These folks found a way to take pretty recent cabinetry and say, here's how we can make it even better. Fascinating, exhilarating when you think about trying to maximize the usable space in your house because we all have so much, perhaps too much stuff. Less than a thousand bucks can uh, result in a transformation of your home. Give them a call at 303-475-9601, 303-475-9601. Make sure when you call them, say, I heard about you on the George Show. Uh, that guy seems to think you guys are pretty great. Uh, they'll love to hear that. We will, too. Um, let me get here a couple texts. Here's a text. Habitual DA, uh, DUI offenders lose their driver's license and aren't supposed to drive. Same principle, uh, Janet. Janet, I think that's true, and I think that's smart, although, you know, the legislature has been whittling away at the suspension of driver's licenses for drunk drivers now for many, many years because it's just really harsh to make drunk drivers, even repeated ones, have to come up with alternative transportation. But let me take up a position here that's a little different than that. The ability to drive on our roads is a privilege. It is not guaranteed by the Constitution, whereas possession of a weapon, that right to bear arms, is guaranteed by the Constitution. And so I guess the question is, does the Second Amendment mean there can be no limits placed on who can possess a firearm? Because that's sort of the approach that's being taken here. If you're allowed to make guns in your home, if the state cannot intervene to say no 
can't have you do that because then that means the bad guys, the guys that we can't trust, will be able to arm themselves again, and that puts us at great risk. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Is that what the Constitution mandates? You think that's what the framers of the Constitution believed? That uh, anybody, under any circumstances, regardless of past conduct, reg- how would you even keep someone who is mentally infirm from, uh, even if they've been diagnosed, how would you keep them from getting their hands on a gun that they could make at home? I mean, because let's not fool ourselves into thinking that just because you're insane under the legal definition of sanity and you would go out and do harm to someone means that you're not smart enough to operate uh, equipment. That's not true. You could be delusional and still be fully functioning in terms of saying, hey, I'm going to go online and find me a gun and do the 3D printing because I'm going to go out there and shoot all the aliens, uh, and I mean the space kind, the the Tucker Carlson kind that have invaded everyone's bodies. How, how would you prevent them from getting guns? And it seems like the answer here is, well, the Second Amendment says you can't do anything about that. Too bad, so sad. I don't believe that. In fact, the Supreme Court of the United States doesn't believe that. They have upheld regulations on guns uh, for ghost guns uh, several times recently. I, I guess I'm just conflicted here about what the right answer is. I hate it when the government jumps in and tries to do the dumb stuff with the firearms, like limit magazine capacity or to say this is how you must store them in your house. I just that I just don't see that as being their business. And I don't see it as making a difference. But this I don't know. 303-696-1971. We'll get to your calls and your texts when we come back. It's George Brockler on the George Show, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710 KNUS. Coming up on the uh, final minute of the show before we cut away and come back with Tony Kovaleski, super senior reporter. It's not because he's super senior, but he's super and senior investigative reporter for uh, Denver 7 Investigates. He's going to tell us about a story that he broke uh, yesterday. I'm reading it here on Denver 7. It feeds into more revelations by the Denver City Council and the mayor's office about how much it's going to cost and how much it has cost them between the, by the way, the uh, unhoused and the uh, migrant crisis here. We're talking tens of millions, maybe over $100 million to take care of this stuff. We'll talk about a portion of it that just happened, a problem that just got dropped off in Denver just the other day. Stick around, and then, of course, we'll get to your calls and your texts. It's George Brockler on the George Show, 710 KNUS. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 